Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. We are live from Daytona International Speedway, the World Center of Racing, for the site of the 61st edition of the Daytona 500. That's what it's called, right? It is called the Daytona yeah. 500. Man, it does not get old hearing you intro your shows and just your voice. I can just listen the to it all The World Center of Racing. That's what it is. That's what it's called. Mm -hmm. we got a big show today coming up here in uh, just a few minutes. Going to be joined by uh, Ty Dillon, driver number 13, Geico Car. That's where you can save 15% or more on car insurance. They're not paying us to say that, so don't give them that plug. Jeez. <laughs> also going to be joined by... This is this is going to be crazy, but we're going to be joined by Ryan McGee of ESPN.com, co-host of Marty and McGee on ESPN Radio and the SEC Network. He'll join us as we have interviews live from Daytona. Talented book here. writer there, too. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, he is the entire ESPN Motorsports Department right now. Um, so we'll look forward to talking to McGee coming up later on in today's show. But here in Daytona, you got to have some friends when you're at Daytona. And you've already heard both these guys' voices because – they, they can't stay quiet during my introduction. Nah. It is uh, Dominic Aragon from the RacingExperts.com. Well, well said there. Back. Thank you, Tyler. Always a pleasure to, to join you behind the mic. Yes. And uh, this guy I've been talking with on air for a very long time, and this is the first time that we've been in the same place to do a show. It is uh, Brian Nolan who's here with us. Uh, hello, Brian. Hello, Tyler. How are you? I'm good, Tyler. Thank you. Welcome to uh, Daytona. How Dude, it's awesome. It's incredible. You enjoying it yourself? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I was telling Dominic, I was like, does it ever get old? And he's like, no, it truly doesn't. I've been here four times for the 500, or three times for the 500, four times overall. It never gets old. I mean, it, it's it's blown my mind. I watched the first truck practice, and I was I was just in awe. I mean, I can't imagine. You were I, shook. I literally was. It was like, as my good friend Davey Siegel says, lit. It was beyond lit. Well, don't let him fool you. He doesn't have any good friends. Uh, they they all deny him, but that's beside the point. Damn. Um, the question that I have as we break the ice today, uh, we'll go around the room. Uh, we'll start out with uh, Brian. Brian, where were you conceived? <laughs> wow. I, I, I thought we were going to be talking about your nipples, but, you know, that's okay. Um, Boise, Idaho, my friend. Are you sure about that? Yes, I am sure. But you were born in Caldwell, Idaho. I would neither confirm nor deny that statement. Okay. Uh, Dominic, where were you conceived? I'm pretty sure it was a place called Blue Water Lake State Park. It's west of Grants, about 10 miles west of my hometown of Grants. But I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, I'll add to that and be the third person that was conceived in a different place that I was born. I was <laughs> conceived in Lovington, New Mexico, and I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we share this New Mexico bond now. We do. We do. Uh, I have never lived in New Mexico, but that's where I was conceived. So now I feel like that we're tighter together, that we all have just got this out in the open where we were conceived. Oh, yeah. I like that. I mean, that we're, we're forever brothers. We're New Mexico brothers now. Yes. We, we share that common bond. <laughs> oh, and yeah. It I, I love right it. Uh, or that's all we share in common. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I, like, hate you. Well, I appreciate wow. the honesty. I, I've always yeah. appreciated someone who's brutally honest. I wish the feeling was mutual, though. You do? Okay. I, hey, I me wish. and Dominic, we didn't know each other until Tuesday night, and it was like an hour car ride from where we're staying from the airport that we picked him up at. And after that hour, I came out of the car, and I said, did we just become best friends? And he says, heck yeah, we did. <laughs> like, we we just became best friends, like, after an hour. It's incredible. I feel like I've known Brian 
Okay, I've known him two days. I feel like I've known him 22 years. Like, really. Like, this guy and I just, I think, bonded really quick. We got close really quick, too. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, and I think all three of us here share the same passions here, whether it be with sports and, and broadcasting and communications. It's it's a great bond to have, the all, all three of us. It's incredible. I think that the, you, you two bonded so quickly with not only do you enjoy the sport of NASCAR, you are both uh, straight-up nerds when it comes to this sport. I love numbers, man. I'm a numbers guy. I'm a stats yeah. guy. It's it's kind of funny. I'm in this group chat with my best friend Derek Harris, and um, we were talking about something. And um, Derek says, "Okay, who won the 1998 race at Loudon?" And both of us said the right answer in Jeff Burton. So Jones, you also are a nerd with NASCAR. Do not deny that. You know, I would like to think that I I am like a. Uh, a five-tool player. Like, if I'm a nerd in NASCAR, <laughs> then that would make me a college football nerd, an NFL nerd, an NBA nerd, a college basketball nerd, a golf nerd. Um, I will not claim to be a baseball nerd. I'm definitely um, not. But I promise you that. I, Same. I would claim to be – if I, I'm not – like, I would call you specifically a NASCAR nerd. But, like, if I'm going to be a nerd in NASCAR, then you got to call me a nerd for, like – I'm proud to be called a nerd in NASCAR. Mentioned. So you can call us racing experts, but you're the sports expert. How about that? How about that upgrade for a title? You know, I'm not – I don't have that much of an ego to call myself an expert in anything, but if you said it, then that's fine with me. I would take it and run with it. The sports expert. The sports expert. The, you, you can definitely call Brian and I racing experts, no pun intended. But I'm not going to call baby. myself like my former coworker, the sports machine, but sports expert, you know, kind of got a nice ring to it. I like it. It's a, it's a big title to live up to, but I think you can fill those shoes. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, ne- next question before we dive into too much shop. We will talk uh, about NASCAR in a few minutes, believe it or not. Um, I believe you. Poll question. Should I get my nipple pierced? <laughs> <laughs> well, because, um, Dominic, you have your nipple pierced. I do. I have my left nipple pierced. My, my fiancé and I. We ended up going to a piercing parlor and playing staff, <laughs> and she got her nostril pierced, and I got my nipple pierced. So we're actually going to be making a round two trip in a couple of weeks back that, that way. That was the best decision you have ever made. Yeah, I actually felt kind of good. Like uh, not not the actual piercing itself, but to be able was, to actually do it. So well, the nipple piercing was the best decision, and then you getting engaged her was the second best. Like, decision. It happened like two days later. We just, <laughs> we bonded that much closer after that, so it made us it made us closer. It did. Uh, as weird as that may sound, you don't even need the ring at that point. No. You got the nipple piercing. Mm-hmm. I've got two rings now on my body. Oh, isn't that perfect? <laughs> Good. All right. So, so you got your nipple pierced. I'm thinking about it. Um, and, and you guys have offered me. This is the thing. I, I'm, I'm very curious what the people think about this. I, I'm, I, I'm leaning towards doing this because <laughs> these guys have rallied up their friends and have offered me $435 to do this. To do what? To pierce my nipple. Okay. 435 bucks. That's I, a lot of money. That's that's more than my rent. There you go. And even if it costs like 100 bucks, you're profiting 300 and whatever. So Right. After the piercing and after the tip. Because you're supposed to tip your piercer. Okay. So, yeah. So, there goes my rent, just if I get my nipple pierced. Now, here's the thing. This is what I'm wondering is, is there going to be stipulations of like how long I had to have it in for? Yes, it, so it just depends on the healing itself, but d- depending on how... I mean, are you guys going to put a rule on me? 
Oh, I'm not necessarily going to put a rule on it. I mean, if you want to take it out the next day, I would not advise that, though, because you're opening yourself up to infection. I would let it start healing up a little first. Okay, so... you got to spray it twice a day. There is there is a lot of little aftercare okay. protocol that goes with that. So, if I keep it for six months, um, is that good enough where we don't have to do a Kyler Murray type deal where I have to pay it back <laughs> after I didn't follow I, through? I think six months is fair. What do you think, Brian? Yeah. I don't want to be the Kyler Murray of nipple piercing. <laughs> like, I don't want to pull it out all of a sudden and decide that, you know what, instead I made the wrong choice, I want to get my nose pierced. I, I mean, it's your call. Situation. It is okay. certainly your call. But Okay, but 430 bucks for six months. I think that's fair. Now, if you take it out before because if there's other circumstances, that's fine, I think. Like, okay. Like if there's circumstances outside of your control, I don't think that outside would of my control. void exactly. That would not void. The that warranty, would be the if equivalent of if Kyler Murray would have gotten injured and couldn't have played baseball, instead yeah. of the choice of Kyler Murray deciding to go to the NFL, like he did, even though he could have, you know, he was perfectly healthy. Okay. Um, all right. So when are you going to do this? That's the yeah. Question. When are we going to do this? Because we don't, don't have th- much. I'm thinking it's got to be done while we're here, while we're all together. Yeah, like this is due by Sunday. And oh, are, of now, are your viewers going to have the opportunity to watch the oh, video? Oh, trust me, I'm, we're we going to Instagram live this at the so we're, Brian we're, we're Nolan or this, huh? or at Tyler Jones live. I don't know one of the two. Well, I feel like you, you have such an opportunity it's here either to rally what, your base. It's either going to be yours or mine. Because if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. Oh, really? No, no, no. The Instagram live it. Oh, I got you. There's okay. no chance in hell I get we mine have to done. Be, okay, here, here's my one stipulation if we Instagram live this. is I do not have, like, the best body or figure. Like, what, let's cut it off at my man boobs or something, you know, where the camera the can be. Okay. Is that fair? Sure. I mean, you got to do what you want to do. but Okay. Yeah. Like, no one needs to see beyond that. Like, my chest, you know, like, let's cut it off there. No camera angles beyond that. <laughs> Okay, I mean, we, we we could certainly lay some ground rules, and if that's what you're comfortable with, yes, sure. Okay, okay. Well, at least we're on that ground. Um, and and Brian, you're in on this. I'm in with the money, not <laughs> with the piercing. Um, I'll, I'll throw in out of my pile of cash that I'm about to give, uh, about to get for doing this. Uh, how about how about twenty dollars, Brian? No, I'll throw in twenty. No, yeah, that's a forty dollar offer. No. $40 to get your nipple pierced. Everybody has a price, Brian. What would be your price on that? 4000 No, 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 no. You, you're, this is Brian Nolan we're talking about here. It's going to. No. I'm going to say. Women piercing, nip, nipping, nipple piercings on women, el fuego. Man's, el not. Okay. You couldn't um, stop staring at my chest, though. Dude, it's weird, okay? I'm sorry. It's just weird. I'm going to say that his starting price, realistically, uh, I, I think it's. I think what he ge- the answer he would give on the air is different than what he would actually give in person. Uh, I would say his real price, which I again I said he won't say on air, is probably going to be about a hundred dollars. It's not though. That's the thing. I mean, there's room for profit right there too. I think that he would do it for a hundred bucks. I think maybe a little bit more. Maybe like two fifty. Two. That's my guess. Yeah. Okay, somewhere between a hundred and two fundy is his real asking price. Would you do it? No, no, he would again, proving he, he won't say it on air, but that's what I think his real pro- point, price is is uh, one hundred and two fifty dollars. This is the Jones report coming up here in uh, just a few minutes going to be joined by uh, Ryan McGee of ESPN. He's one half of Marty and McGee, and Ooh. also going to be joined by uh, none other 
then Ty Dillon, driving the number 13 Geico car. And uh, as we're here live from Daytona this week. Uh, well, to interject real quick. Go ahead. Being the NASCAR stat, I am the nerd I am, I have to just live up to that. Please. You realize Ty Dillon scored his first Monster Energy Cup Series top 10 finish at this racetrack in the July race. That's hot. Good for him. It took him 100 and some races, but he got it. Well, I like Ty. Ty's a good dude. He remembered me from Kansas Speedway, and uh, we did a, a great interview that you all will enjoy here in just a few minutes. But being here out of Daytona, when I look at this race, the if the racing is anything like we saw in the Clash, I'm going to be like, why did I spend all this money to come out here? Not really, because I got to hang out with you guys to see Daytona. But if the racing is anything similar to what we saw in the, the Clash, I'm going to be very disappointed. It looked like a Talladega race, like a fall Talladega no, race fine. out there. Well, but, but I'm talking single the car rain. runs. Right. The rain was coming as well, so True. the intensity level was picking up. And so, but you know, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Um, if if we see, you know, here, here, here's what I want to see. Here's what I want to see this week, and you guys can tell me how wrong and stupid this this is. Um, I want to see that second line really come into its own yeah. at some point in the race. And I understand if it doesn't happen immediately, guys are trying to be cautious, you know, not wreck. But if this race is going to be interesting, that there's going to have to be two lanes involved in the, at the very end of the race. You, you can't have a situation where you're just hoping one guy pulls out. There needs to be a second lane. If Sunday's clash was indicative of how we're going to see it the Daytona 500, I think it's going to be – much like the 18-day Tona 502 through those first two stages, everybody was rim riding around the high line. Blaney led a bunch of laps. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a Hendrick car lead the most laps on well, Sunday. Well, rules package, too. Exactly. So I think we're going to be in for what we saw in 2018, as well as the Clash. We're going to see a lot of cars running up high, not a lot of adjustments for positions. We're going to see a lot more strategy on pit road. And then when that first crash happens, then it, as Larry McReynolds of Fox Sports says, cautions breed cautions. They do. They just say, uh, caution, uh, time for another. <laughs> let's go. It's your turn. Another yeah. caution. Um, let's let's take another uh, another poll here. Uh, Brian, who's the most likely to wreck this weekend? Ooh, Tyler, that's a good question. Uh, Is Danica Patrick in the field? Ooh, Wait, no, no, never mind. She already fired. wrecked out. <laughs> I'm going to go with a guest that we've had on this podcast and now features a different name. I'm going to go with the daughter of Derek Cope, Amber What's her name? What's her last name again? Her new Ruck. last name. Ruck, right? Yes, Ruck. Oh, yes. she's in the 500? Oh, well, I, oh you meant the, the 500. Race. I thought you meant just like overall. Wow. How about you listen to me for once? Hmm. The mm. 500. Who's more like most likely to wreck in the 500? I'm going to go with, I think someone's, gonna, someone's going to wreck Ricky Stenhouse after he wrecks someone. You took the words out of my mouth. Get out of my head, Brian. My bad. Sorry, See, brother. Look at that. I'm well, telling you. Two days and we just, I'm telling you. this connection, Tyler. Best friends. All right, so that's the bet is we think that Ricky Stenhouse is the most likely to wreck in the Daytona 500. Are you on that same page? Do you share that same sentiment? Ricky is a very good pick. Who I would have gone with if he was in this race, uh, I would have said Trevor Bain in years past. <laughs> Fair that enough. seems like an annual thing. So now that Trevor Bain's not involved, I have to think a little bit harder. And uh, I am going to go with uh, – None other than the driver of the – I was just, like, spitballing until I actually thought of something. Um, buy yourself some time. Buy myself I some just time. bought you a few more seconds even as I speak. Thank you. Thank you. I, I got to go with Joey Gase. Ooh, will he even qualify well, for the race? Yeah. 
But if he even qualifies, will he just be way far back? He just slows down when a crash happens, or will he crash by himself? He's going to cause a crash. <laughs> really? Here's what I'm going to say. Okay. Here, here's what Joey's going to do. Joey is going to drive ultra-aggressive, and that's going to get him into the field. Okay. But can you drive ultra-aggressive when your car's at an aerodynamic disadvantage already? Uh, on a stricter plate, you can. But he's probably like 40 or 50 horsepower lower than everybody else. Exactly. It's You can make up for that in a restricted plate. To uh, a point. I, to a point. You can't leave. To get you can in have the a, Daytona 500 field. Now, if you have cars behind you pushing, but you're going to eventually hold up the train, like as sure. we've seen with other smaller teams. I, I'm going to say Joey gets in the field, but then he's the first car to crash Dang. on okay. Sunday. So that means Brandon gone is going to have to have issues in his Gatorade duel. No, or he's going to have to have problems. 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 Sure. That's it. That's okay. what's going to be the case. Or and I can't remember who's in the duel. I don't know if it's Casey Mears or if it's Tyler Reddick, but if one of them races their way into the Daytona 500 too, then we've got a different fallback plan. So I, I believe that would put Gone in the race, correct? That would. So, yeah, Gase is in a must-transfer position. He's going to have to be aggressive. You're right. Uh, Brendan Gone, uh, NASCAR's Pillsbury Doughboy. Told you he said it. I told you. Wait, I told him yesterday that? about that. I said that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I told you that Jones said that yesterday. And now it's out there on the air. Yeah. Now we've let the whole world know. Cool. I like Brendan. He's, He's good, awesome. I love his eclectic personality. Um, That's a new word. Eclectic. He was saying that he used to hate doing media, and now... But he's so good. He spins... Now he's like, I want to do as much media as I can. Mm -hmm. Like, that's come with age with him. Some of these guys, uh, they... I don't think they realize how valuable we are until later on in their careers and when they step away from the sport. You, you know how you guys get paid? It's from us covering you. Exactly. And bringing attention to the sport and bringing dollars in. So, uh, And that's just not with NASCAR. It's with every sport. But I think those things kind of take time for people to realize how important the media actually is. And I, our managing editor, Matthew Corson, really pointed something out to me this week with NASCAR changing the media policy. I mean, so in the past, for, the, for those who don't know, NASCAR post-race would bring a few drivers to a certain part of pit road. You'd go, you talk to them. They bring in a couple of those people to the media center, and everybody else is a free-for-all. The way I understand it now, every driver is held. I don't know if it's by their car or if it's in a bullpen, but every driver is held for about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So you have the opportunity to go talk to anybody you want now, and that is big. And it's going to be nice for us, for me, uh, print guys like us. Uh, I think it gives print guys more of an opportunity to have more stories, more midweek content. You give your radio guys a lot more sound bites to work with, and you give your guys, you give your TV guys more voiceovers and, and vosots for on-air stuff. So I, I, it's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. The access to this sport it always amazes me. Yes. It's unlike any sport out there, and the access that we get and how up close and personal – this is, uh, you know, what we're going to see throughout the, uh, you know, Daytona 500 throughout this NASCAR season. Uh, you know, I, I understand the sport is struggling in popularity and ratings right now. The thing that I would push, and this is a whole other topic in itself, but I'll just focus on this one thing. Um, I think NASCAR could really, you know, help the popularity of the sport if there was a big emphasis on the access that you're getting. Because it's there. They don't even have to change much. But make a point to the listener at home, you're getting to see this, and you're not going to get to see this type of thing in any other sport. You can't the go hang out with Tom Brady. Brady. You can't go hang out with him 20 minutes before he straps on his Absolutely helmet and heads not. out onto the field. Exactly. No way. We can be sitting there chilling with Jimmy Johnson, pre-race of the Daytona 500. It's insane. Yeah. Now, what's, 
What's so funny about that, too, is that in Tom Brady's circumstance, it's not like that he actually needs the time alone to himself and to go through that. No, he's. it's not like he actually needs that moment to focus. Um, that's what they want you to think is the case. Like, no, these guys are just fine. Exactly. I think there's an emphasis, oh, they, they need time to get focused. No, they're, they're professional athletes. They're already focused. If, if they're letting a few distractions like that distract them, well, then there, there might be another issue at play. But I, I don't know. I'm just a, I'm, I'm with you, Tyler. I'm blown away. When I first started, started covering the sport, seeing how all these drivers are just willing to talk to the media, for the most part, most of them are willing to talk. They know how valuable. I think everyone talked to the media yesterday. Well, I The mean, only driver, were... you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I did not see BJ McLeod, driver the number 51. I didn't either. Chevrolet for... for if he did, it was like two minutes, boom, boom. And they had the screen up for his name, we but were, I never saw him like, come. Me, the two of us, we were right next to it. Like, it Where it, he was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't see him. So, oh. I mean, there could have been something else that happened, but I, I recall seeing everybody else. Okay. Even drivers who were still attempting to qualify him for the 500, like a Brandon gone. Yes. Joey Gaze. Yes. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm amazed at this sport and – the, the access, not only that the media gets, but the fans get. It's it's something I have to take advantage of. P- people ask me in New Mexico all the time. Where, okay, it's a state that really doesn't have a motorsport scene. But when people ask me what it's like to be out at the racetrack, I'm always telling them, I'm always plugging the access. Because where else can you be that close to the drivers and the teams and the access? I, I, I can't stress that enough when I tell people about what it's like to be at a NASCAR race. Oh, absolutely. It, it is incredible to see. And I'm so glad that we get to be a part and just see it firsthand. I, I got a hard card this year, and explain what a hard card is for those that may card. not know. Okay, so a little in case people don't know exactly the difference. So they have normally you know, a regular just single race credential is uh, used uh, at you know a single track. It's you know a hot pass, which you see all the pits and the you know garage and all that stuff and the media center. A hard card gets you access to any track. At any time, and like you have, you have abilities with that. You can go see places and do things without security, being a bunch of jackasses and stopping you all the time. Uh, it's great what the hard card could do. I got this hard card now this year, and so have you noticed a difference in your short time having that compared absolutely. to the paper? Same as one of our other reporters, Justin Malillo. He's noticing the difference where you're not. Yeah, he, he didn't have a hard card last year. No, and he's oh. been to a lot of races for us, but this year he's really stepping up where, where his travel plans and. I think I, I'm going to have to go to more races now that I got this hard card. Exactly, it makes it makes your job so much easier. I'm not and I'm not going to lie, like that trip in April to Bristol. Oh man, it's Bristol's awesome. You I, climb up that those stairs to the infield, and you look like you're at a at a football field, football stadium on steroids. But there's there's this one security guy at Kansas Speedway that always gave me a hard time about having uh, the hot pass or whatever the regular credential. And I always work my way around them. But I'm tempted to, when I go to Kansas in May, walk up to him with a hard card and say, move, bitch. I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that. Yeah. Get like that, but. Or, hey, look at me now, you know, or something like <laughs> I want to make a point to this one guy in particular at Kansas Speedway. You, you want to get the last laugh then? Oh, absolutely. Well, and I was talking with Brian. Just... La- last time I saw this security guy, um, he uh, he told he tried to tell me hard card only, and I was already on pit road. And I just kept walking and walked away. Yeah. Well, like I was telling Brian earlier, and I don't know if you share this same sentiment, but, okay, he's the only known reporter that has a hard card from Idaho. I'm the only known one from New Mexico, and we take a lot of pride in representing our home states out here in Florida. But on the same token of that, too, 
I, I think, especially early on, we had a lot of people telling us, pick a real field, pick a real sport, pick a real job. And we've, we have pursued these opportunities. And just we feel very blessed and very thankful to be here. And I'm curious with, you, with yourself if you've ever had, even like in your high school days or when you were deciding what you wanted to do before you got into to sports casting, if you had a lot of naysayers telling you. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. That was the joke. Oh, no, oh, for both of you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I'll have Jones. Sorry, I thought that was. Go more ahead. Directed. Go ahead. Finish. What you oh yeah, I've gotten told uh, to burn in a fire before. Uh, that I'm nothing. I'll never be on ESPN. I will never be anywhere. That I'm trash. Um, I've been told to give up many times. I've been told that uh, nobody from Idaho would do anything good, um, which was wrong, obviously. But obviously, I I I encourage them to say negative things. Because, it's fuel. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, you know the same thing with with New you Mexico. You got that out there. Oh yeah, yeah. feel better. No, it feels good too. Like I'm not really one. You guys know me. You guys have been friends with me on Facebook for a while. I really don't tag myself in anything or, or put a lot of posts. It's kind of funny because we were talking about this. It, exactly, but I I don't mind putting that I'm out at the racetrack. It's kind of that that middle finger to all the people that said you're not going to be able to do that. That's not a real job. That's not a real career. That's that's a bunch of BS. And putting those posts on social media, hey, we're here at the Daytona 500, Tyler. We're here at the Mecca of Motorsports, NASCAR Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I look back, you know, I had some doubters, but I'm so focused on the future and the present that, you know, I I, I say that those people just made me stronger. Exactly. And I'll remember who they are. And, you know, if they want something for me later, you know, I'll remember exactly what was said in the past, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, you embrace it. You just use that to move on to that next step. And and I, I can't be, you know, I, I'm just a, a kid from little old Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, yeah. and here we are at the Daytona 500. I'm from Grants, New Mexico. Nine thousand people. We're a mining town. I'm from Boise, Idaho. We're known for two things: a blue turf and potatoes. We made it, boys. We did. And I've always thought of this job too. I mean, no matter what field you're in, but when it comes to to reporting, especially, you, there is such a privilege and a responsibility that comes with the job at the same time too. Yes, you got to be fair, you got to be balanced. But, and I'm probably going to sound like a politician saying this, but <laughs> you, we are representatives of the people who don't get this access. There's so many people that would like to be here, so it is our job to ask the questions on the fans' behalf. And I can't tell you how many times I've asked probably what most people would consider stupid questions, but because the fans want to know, that's my job to ask. And I work for a radio station. I'm just trying to get my way into the radio station. Everybody from my station is recognizing everybody that is saying, wow, you're at Daytona covering the 500? Hey, can can you want to come on the show on Friday? I'm like, sure. I mean, I'm I'm their guest. I'm not part of the show. I'm their guest. They want me on the show. They're asking me. That's never happened before. So it's actually really cool to actually uh, be asked to come on and promote it. And it's it's, it's something new to me because well, I'm I, usually the one asking the question, not getting asked. Well, you have an opportunity here to inspire people to back in your home yeah. state, in your hometown. I, I do some substitute teaching when I'm not on the road. And I have students telling me, oh, well, that's like the ones that have found out that what I do on the side with covering NASCAR. And I, and I like to hear what they want to do, what some of their dreams and aspirations. There's one student that sticks out to me, and he knows who he is if he's listening. He wants to pursue a career in music. And I'm thinking that's awesome. I tell him, do right not, on. do not let anybody discourage you from your dreams, no matter what you want to do, because I think the if three of us in this if room... If there's three guys that from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, Grant, New Mexico, and Boise, Idaho can make it, 
that kid definitely can make it. Absolutely. We, we've, we've had so many people come from New Mexico, and there's, so, there's not necessarily a clear path to what people want to accomplish. You, you make your own path. You make your, your, your decisions, and when you come up on crossroads, what to do. But, yeah, I, I've always felt that yeah, I'm truly blessed to be here, and we're all blessed to be here, and it can all be taken away tomorrow. But I think it, it's just such a, such a privilege. I still can't believe that we're here. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, right? It is. I mean, <laughs> not everybody can throw a microphone in somebody's face and ask them a tough question. And Yeah, you get some people who don't like that, but at the same point, somebody has to do it. And I enjoy oh, yeah. it. I'm up for that challenge. I think all three of us are up for that oh, challenge. For sure, for sure. Um, one more question before we get to uh, Ryan McGee and Ty Dillon. And I have this question for you, Brian. It, it's this um, – for for this weekend's uh, Daytona 500, who is the uh, the favorite underdog to win? Favorite underdog, you better believe it's David Reagan. The favorite underdog that that is it. He, he asked David. Okay, listen. Okay, no, 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 well, hold no. on. Let me finish. Let me finish. <sighs> he he asked David, how does it feel being a favorite underdog for the Daytona 500? I'm like, what on earth is a favorite underdog? Okay. It's called a dark horse. No, 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 no. Well, that's Just, a good way of putting that. No, a fi- like. You you know underdogs right? You have like the you have the Michael McDowell's, the David Reagans. Those are immediately the first two that I think of. And now, what can we call them underdogs because that team has won at the Super Speedway races? Well, they're not contenders, but they're not that. But if they're not underdogs, what do we call them then? Dark horse. No. I, I think you can definitely classify a dark horse above an underdog. A dark horse. Hey, I, I don't know if maybe uh, the two aren't. I don't think they're interchangeable. The two words. They're two different things. At least I think. Okay, but a favorite underdog. I've never heard that before. I think he made up – he did make up a phrase. You better coin that, dude. Damn straight. Favorite underdog. I bet David was like, I don't know what he just asked me, but I'll just go ahead and roll with it. Mm -hmm. David's a good dude, though. I I rode with him. He's awesome. uh, He was cool. I rode with him in a pace car ride once at a Kansas Speedway. Good dude. Awesome guy. Um, But I I guess there you have it. He's the favorite underdog. Damn straight. Now, do you think that team is good enough to have cars that could point their way into the playoffs, like a, like a David Reagan, a Michael McDowell? We saw them stay no. out at a lot of mile and a half well, tracks last new, year, stage points. With this new package, I don't know yet. Ask me after Las Vegas or something, then we'll talk. We're going to have a good idea. I, I think Dave Moody said it best last year. There was a fan that called in early in the season oh, and I said, Lord, what do you think about callers. Team A, Team B, or Team C? He's like, you really can't judge a team's performance until you get to the Coke 600 because then you have a large sample size of different racetracks. I was telling Brian before we started the show, I think you can move that baseline up to Texas now because you would have already had three mile-and-a-half tracks, worn-out, bumpy Atlanta, newly paved Texas, and Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Those three, I think, will give us an idea of where the competition truly is now. Yeah, that's a good perspective, no doubt about that. Uh, Coming up next, uh, Ty Dillon, Brian McGee. Great chats with them coming up on uh, the other side. More to come with uh, with Brian Nolan and uh, Dominic Aragon. In a few minutes, but first, let's hear from uh, Ty Dillon and uh, Ryan McGee right now here in the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here at Daytona International Speedway in our first interview of the weekend. It is uh, Ty Dillon, driver of the number 13 Geico Chevy. And uh, Ty, you joined us back at Kansas Speedway. Thanks for the time once again, man. Yeah, man. Glad to be back on with you and uh, 
It's kind of funny how this came about. We were over here getting a little snack this morning, ran into each other, and glad I can be your first interview. Hey, absolutely. Ty, uh, start of the new season and everything. How's uh, Speed Weeks uh, treating you as you get off your 2019? It's been good so far. Um, you know, our, our first two practices were really promising. I think we were fifth in, in first practice in the draft and second in, in final practice uh, before qualifying. And uh, So this is a car that we've ran in the past two years, and Every year it hasn't really showed up good in single car runs and qualifying, so we qualified, ended up qualifying 34th, which was disappointing, but kind of what we expected. Uh, but this car really drafts well and has handled really well, and the draft is uh, on top of that. So that's what you need here at the Daytona 500. Hopefully when Sunday rolls around, the, the weather will be a little bit warm. But I think come Thursday on the duels, we'll be able to show off our muscle, get our, our starting spot improved quite a bit, and then um, be in it for the Daytona 500. That's exciting uh, to see how this all plays out and, you know, start of the year and everything. They, they say Daytona is a big equalizer, and for you guys, a smaller team, this is a, a, a big opportunity in, in, in the biggest race. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, this is – I think all super speedway races have been opportunities for us, and you look back at our history, for whatever reason, the 500 has been a little bit of a, a bugaboo for me the last two years. Um, it's not going to be this year, but the, the super speedways are always an opportunity. I don't think we finished outside the top 15 and other than when, we, uh, when we've missed crashes or when we when – we We've been in crashes has been the only time we haven't finished inside the top 15. So, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to go out and improve and, and start a year on the right foot. That's outstanding. And, you know, the team and everything, This is, you, you've been there with a few years now at Jermaine Racing. What's, uh, what's that been like, uh, you know, that you know, chemistry that's grown over that time, how, working with those guys? How's it been the uh, last several years as you, you go into this year? You, you're closer than you've ever been with that group? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first year working with Booty and, and being in the SS – uh, was was a great start for for our relationship, and um, I think we had so much change going into last year. I think more change than we we expected to to kind of affect our season with a crew chief change and a car change from the SS to the Camaro. We just felt like we were always a couple weeks behind in the development of our car, and I think even with our move from Jermaine Racing, where we were in Mooresville, to to Welcome North Carolina now, and, and being closer to our technical alliance partner with RCR. Um, our team is, is going to be a lot stronger. We have another year. Matt and I's communication this offseason season has grown uh, substantially um, as friends and, and not just as a crew chief and driver relationship. So um, I think there's a lot of good things going on with our team, a lot of growth. Um, we're looking forward to a strong season. In case people don't know, you know your your grandpa owns Richard Childress Racing, but you're making your name for self running with Jermaine Racing and doing your own thing over there, and have that technical alliance. Uh, what's what's that been like to establish yourself and and have your own identity there with that 13 team and and be a part of what you guys are doing in particular with that group uh, with what's going on there at Jermaine? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a unique opportunity. I think if people look at it from the outside in, you'd you'd think why isn't he running for his grandfather, but. Um, I think God just gave me this unique opportunity to, to drive this 13 car for, for Geico and, and Jermaine Racing. I think that we're going to be able to take something here um, over the past couple of years. We've, we've grown in, in different ways, and the results haven't really surfaced yet, but we feel like this is a year, and, and we also have the commitment of Geico through next year, too, that we can really take this program to the next level. And um, looking forward to a year of positive things, um, and I hope to drive the number 13 for, for 10 more years if, if they'll allow me. So um, I'm looking forward to a great future and um, love racing for Jermaine Nixon. Last year, your brother Austin won this race. What was it like from your vantage point of seeing him pick up that 500 win last year? Yeah, I had an unfortunate vantage point because we got wrecked out in the first uh, segment, so I watched most of the race on my couch pouting. 
Um, and then it came down to the end of it, and I'm like, no way, Austin's going to win this thing. He was running second or third, and I just had this feeling like, yep, he's going to win it. And sure enough, you know, he got to go to victory lane at a place that him and I have spent probably every year of our life at um, during uh, speed weeks. So um, it was a really special moment to be able to share that with him. Um, you know, I didn't really get to take it all in with him. I came over, gave him a hug, and was around for a little bit of it. And then uh, I had to get back home because we finished uh, in the back. We had to get prepared for Atlanta. So um, yeah, I think it's really cool, and, and hopefully this year we'll go back-to-back and create a little bit of history here at Daytona. Now, you know, I think the question a lot of people are wondering, you know, your, your brother, he, he made a move to win that race. Would, would, would you move Austin if it meant you getting to victory lane, if you were in that circumstance? Absolutely. He's got his <laughs> Harley J. Earl trophy now, so I'm ready to have mine. All right. So there you have it. You, you would do whatever it takes to get that win if it, it meant moving Austin out of the way. That's Absolutely. great. Austin, we're joined by Ty Dillon right now here on the uh, program. So coming to Daytona, does – does it ever get old? What's it been like? You've been here so many times. Does the the experience of this place is just un, unbelievable? Does, does it ever does it still hit you every time you come out here? Yeah, definitely. I think I've been coming here so long, my whole life. It's different every year, you know. And, and now that I'm driving and racing here, there's a little bit different meaning every single time I come back. The fact that my brother won last year adds a little bit more depth to it to me this year. Um, that we crashed out, you know, just the past. The way that things come, you have a little bit different motivations. You have a little bit different ideas. You have different thoughts, sometimes good, sometimes bad, about this place. But there's always the determined determination to get across that checkered uh, first to, to, to sew it all up and, and put yourself in the history books here at Daytona. We've seen a few guys like you know, Trevor Bain or Michael Waltrip, a few others, get their first career win in the 500. You're still looking for your first career win. What would that mean for you to get that first win but to do it in this race? <laughs> It'd mean everything. I think it'd be a great uh, way to propel our season and propel my career. Uh, I think um, we just kind of feel like we've been floating a little bit in the middle ground for the past couple of years, and we've had some, some good moments, some highlight moments. But I think to get that first win that Jermaine Racing has put in more um, you know, money and time and heart and soul into the sport, that they deserve it. And uh, I feel the same way about myself, that this is a perfect time, perfect place to get that done. Yeah, uh, we're talking to Ty Dillon right now here on the program. L- looking at this the 2019 schedule and what's to come, what are some of your, your favorite tracks and the schedules you're looking forward to once you get past Daytona? Yeah, I, I think this year with a change in the package, I'm, I'm looking forward to every racetrack. I think everything is going to be a little bit different. So I think it kind of wipes the slate clean on what your favorite places might have been because of past results. So uh, I'm looking forward to, obviously, Bristol is probably my favorite racetrack. I love Richmond. I love those two racetracks. Um, I always enjoy the road courses. Um, and Texas has been a really good uh, track for me, too. So um, those are some highlight places. But I think that there's an opportunity to every racetrack this year. For folks that don't know, like how the packages and stuff works, what's, what's it going to be different for the fan watching at home viewing the racing this year compared to last year? I think um, – I think at home, the fans will look forward to the restarts are just going to be really action-packed. You know, I think uh, the first 10 to 15 laps of a, of a restart are going to be three-wide, full-ride, and there's going to be a lot of shuffling of position. Um, I think as the run goes on, the cars are going to be more compact. They're, I think most of the field's going to be on the same straightaway, and I think that that's going to create opportunity for more passing one bobble one mistake continue from 10th to 25th um, with this style package um, but there's also still the for the old racers who um, you know love to hear about the finesse of the driver or see a driver's talent show up in a long run when tires wear out there's still going to be some of that at most racetracks and I think uh, the fans have a lot to look forward to 
Second year of the Camaro in Cup. It seemed like it took teams a little bit longer to figure it out than they would have liked to last year. How comfortable are you feeling with uh, the Camaro? Yeah, I think um, last year was a little bit of a slow year for all the Chevy teams, like you said. And um, I think this year, providing the new rules package change gives us an opportunity to kind of level the playing field. And I think we've done that. I think it showed up. The Camaro showed up really well in the off-season testing. Um, there's still obviously challenges and growth that, that still need to go on with this car. It's only in its second year of existence. I think it took the SS a couple years to get going, too. So um, I know that Ford's brought out a new car, too. So um, there's always a challenge with a new new body style. But I think the Camaro is going to be ready to go this year. All right. What would you consider to be a successful season for you? Uh, what, what's the what's the goals for 2019? I think the goals for 2019 is um, – just improving overall on last year. Um, I think personally I would like to make the chase. I think that's an achievable goal this year for us um, and the way that this season is going to set up with this new style package. Um, and I think with that it's going to be um, you know, possibly a race win, and I think there's no better place, like we said, to do it than here at Daytona. That's awesome, and uh, best of luck to you here at Daytona, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this all plays out. And then not too long from now, we'll, uh, we'll see you back at Kansas Speedway again. All right, buddy. Looking forward to it. We'll see you there. Tucker Jones here, joined now by ESPN senior writer Ryan McGee joins us right now. And uh, we're, we're pleased to welcome him in and bring in the, the 406 to Daytona. Yes, sir. No, it's always good to be here. This is, I was, I was, I, I flew in. Got in on Wednesday morning in time for media day. I was thinking about driving up here from Orlando. This is my 24th Daytona Speed Week. So I was just telling you as we were coming over here to do this, uh, what you learn as you get older is people will go, man, you know a lot of people or you know a lot. Of, yeah, it's just, it's just called you've just been around a long time. You know, you just have – uh, if you're old, that means that you accrue wisdom, I guess. Yeah. So, so who won the first year you were out here? The first year I was here, it was a Sterling Marlin uh, – won it was the second of his back-to-back wins so he won back he went back-to-back in what 95 96 and so i was here for that is that right 94 95 so 95 and then uh then dale jarrett got in the brand new 88 car mm-hmm. and he swept the week the first time i was here for like the whole two weeks so yeah so it's what happens too is when you get older my hero and my mentor was tom higgins who passed away last year and higgins was the dean of the nascar media centers in the hall of fame and right before he passed away, I told him I owe you an apology. And he said, why? I said, because I'm always coming to you and saying, tell me a great Fireball Robert story. I go, now I get you know young people coming up, tell me a great Sterling Marlin story. And I'm like, to me, it wasn't that long ago. It was 25 years ago. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It flies by like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm 22, so I can't even Yeah, dude. Now. So I've been, I've been here. So I was, uh, when was your birthday? May 29th, 96. Okay, so May 29th, 96, I was probably I was I was I had been here for the Daytona 500 and I was probably in Indy when you were born at the Indy 500. So it's yeah. True. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, old. Crazy. Point. It, it, it goes by. Yeah. Uh, the all important question biscuits or cornbread? Oh, show sure, a biscuit man. And Marty is a cornbread man and it's a huge uh, huge point of contention for us. But I say so we, we we did that biscuits or cornbread with all 14 coaches of the SEC last year. And all of the Southern-born coaches were Team Biscuit, with the exception of uh, at Ogeron. And that's understandable because he's a Cajun guy. Right. So you would assume that Cornbread was it. But, sure. yeah, everybody else that went with, with Cornbread, it was all the guys that were like, you know, Stoops and 
all those guys that were you know grew up in Ohio and New England and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm Team Biscuit all the way. Have you thought about asking these NASCAR drivers? You know the uh, biscuits or cornbread question. Yeah, you know it's a that's a great point, and we well Marty McGee we need to do that for, for Saturday morning. We're gonna have some drivers on, so I okay. said yes. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like we've let everybody down because we we had no idea it was gonna be like that. We, it was actually a, a call. We were it was the week before SEC Media Days, and on the radio show we said, all right, what questions do you want us to ask the coaches? And the first guy that called in goes biscuits or cornbread. And so, and I think he was at a Cracker Barrel like when he called because he was staring at it. And so he was trying to decide so, what to eat himself. Yeah, I got to go back and listen to the show. But whoever that was, that dude changed our world because we rolled in there and ended up becoming a thing. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm team. But I say what I say about biscuits is what Nick Saban gave us the most nuanced answer about that. But he talked about it. it's about consistency. He's a smart guy. Yeah, he's, he's, oh, psh, he's yeah, right? right. But he said he evaluates biscuit like he evaluates an athlete, which is. Uh, consistency and versatility. And he goes, and you can't, you know, cornbread, he's cornbread's great, but you really want to do one or two things with cornbread. Biscuit, you can do anything you want. Yeah, I'm team biscuit myself. Yeah, of course you are. Yeah. I like both. Well, you know, I knew you're a smart guy. So, yeah. yeah, I like both. Yeah, sure. But I'll Absolutely. go with the biscuit, given the choice. And if you do cornbread, I like sweet cornbread. Like, I like my cornbread almost like pound cake. Yes. Yeah, and I'm like I'm like that with my tea, too. I want my tea so sweet I can pour it over pancakes. Or, you know, I can, I can put that on pancakes as a syrup. Sure, mix, the, mix them yeah. together, you know. Why not? Yeah. Have some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Separate the two. Now, as uh, I, I, I was, I was thinking about this, Les Miles. Did you hear he's vegan now? Like, I guess he would be neither one. Yeah, I guess. I bet he could. I, he, Les is a smart guy, and I bet that if he really wanted to figure out some way to eat some cornbread, he could probably He'd figure find that some out. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he says now that he's a. It, the term he uses is a flexitarian. Where yes. if there's a piece of chicken that falls in his salad, he's not going to take the time right. to pull it out right. because that would be too much of a pain to do. But he's he's not going to ignore it. Yeah. He's not going to put it there, but he's not going to ignore yeah. it. Yeah, so like if he got a biscuit and somebody assured him that this was a vegan jelly, he's probably going to be okay with it. Like he's going to find somewhere around it. I knew that. So he's a smart guy. But, you know, and he is the guy that ate the grass. So at some point, you know. If you're going to accept the money for the beer people, you're the grass-eating guy, then you you say you've gone green, even though if you actually haven't, probably. From him eating grass, like, we should have known it was going to escalate to this. Oh, it's unbelievable. it was like biscuits and cornbread. I don't think he knew what it was going to be, but it's been years, and we're still talking about it. And when he goes into the College Football Hall of Fame, I, there will be something on his plaque that says he's the guy that ate the grass. I'm convinced of that. The vegan that ate the grass. The vegan that ate the grass, yeah. That's so, you know. I guess cows are vegans, right? Because they all they yeah. do is eat grass and goats or whatever else. Although goats eat cans or anything, but yeah, I think Les Miles qualifies as a grass-eating vegan. But yeah, he'll, <laughs> but if the chicken falls in the grass, he'll he will also eat the chicken. The grass-eating vegan, and yeah. is he the guy that's going to turn around Kansas football too? Yeah, and listen, if and, and if he can't do it, um, I don't know if it's ever going to be done. You know, and I, I, all, all you Jayhawk fans out there, I listen, I, I'm, I've been writing the bottom ten for almost ten years. I have watched so much Kansas football. But I say this all the time. The, the beauty of the bottom ten, and this is a fact, the best aspect, the best part of being the author of the bottom ten is when the team finally turns it around. The first year that I wrote the bottom ten, uh, Georgia State was the worst team in the country. They won the bottom ten championship. Two years later, made it to a ball game. And it was the coolest thing in the world. SMU. SMU, when, when they finally got it turned around a little bit and finally made it to a bowl game, it was – I felt like I was on the team. So when the teams get it turned around, 
it is the best part of the uh, um, Eastern Washington. Uh, you know, there, or Eastern, excuse me, Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan was in the bottom ten, solid, like fighting for the championship every year. And then all of a sudden, they turn around like one eight games, win the bowl game. It's the best. So when Kansas finally does it, I will be so excited. Now, full disclosure, uh, I saw I was there in person for one of Kansas football's greatest moments. I was at the kickoff classic when Kansas of all schools was invited to play Florida State at the Meadowlands. This would have been right around the time you were born. And it was the hottest day of all time. Jack Root was on the sideline, and they sweated completely through his clothes. My dad was a, was a referee in that game, and I was a st- statistician for ABC Sports. But so uh, Glenn Mason was there, and they were coming off oh, this yeah. great year. And, uh, yeah, no, it was um, – I've talked to Coach Mason about that game since then. So, so, uh, so people say the bottom ten is mean. It is what it is, but the best part is when they, it was when the team finally turns around and they're good, and I really believe that Les Miles can do that. I feel like the people that don't get the bottom ten are the same people that don't get the Levitard show. Yeah, or Marty McGee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah you, either, you either get it or you don't. And, uh, and the best part of the bottom ten is, for the most part, the teams are kind of in on it. We don't ever pick on individual players. No. You know, we'll pick on a coach, but they make a lot of money. They they, you know, they deserve to get picked on. But but the uh, but we don't ever pick on individual players, even if it was an awful play, the loss of game. We will, we will never name a kid. But the uh, but yeah, if, if if you read the bottom ten and you really believe in your heart that that's serious business, then you know I appreciate you reading it, but you do not understand what it is you're reading. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh... You covering the SEC, I'm sure you know Jeff Long real well. Yeah. Uh, he's taken over and and really brought a ton of energy, not only just the football program, but that athletic department. Yep. What what do you think he necessarily brings to KU? And what seems like uh, he, he preaches a lot of culture, and, and a lot yeah. of people are buying into that already pretty quickly. There's not a finer man in college athletics. Um, in, 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 that, in college athletics, it's very easy to find – people that will complain about other people like like you throw out any name somebody in the room is gonna go oh, that guy's a jerk or that guy's a... no one has anything bad to say about jeff long even at arkansas the time had just run out you know those things happen it happens with coaches it happens with university presidents it happens with just there's a, it has rock bands there's just there's a time where you're just like you know what this worked great but it's time to go do something else the so, extension was kind of the final straw exactly. they didn't have a yeah. choice yeah they didn't have a choice and no one no one could have seen that coming including Jeff Long and I didn't see it coming because I, I like I like Bielema too but he's such a good guy no one's more respected in the sport he will always be held up in the eyes of most people in college athletics because of the way he handled that Bobby Petrino situation at Arkansas which is to say he just cut it off he didn't deal with it and uh so yeah he's a he's a good man I've known him for a long time, and uh, yeah, culture is his thing, and I think you can sense it. I mean, you, you probably already sense it in the building. And the last big missing piece of the puzzle was, can you win in football? And man, he took a big old swing to see if he can do it. Yeah, he did, and uh, now he's got his work cut out for them. But you know, it's certainly a big step. Les Miles doesn't come to KU without Jeff Long being there. Oh, not not a chance. Well, and and, and it should tell you. Uh, how highly people regard Jeff Long because Les Miles will take that job. That's not a great job. No. I, mean, I don't know if you know this or not. <laughs> it's not a great job. But when Jeff Long called, Les Miles returned the phone call. And uh, and I know for a fact that over the last couple of years, Les Miles had received phone calls for maybe some better jobs. And, and he just wasn't interested. But when Jeff Long called, he jumped at it. Yeah, he did. And uh, now we'll see ultimately what happens with this program and you know they have to work it out for them no doubt about that uh i know you're a big acc basketball guy but uh 
Kansas right now going through a bit of a slump. What's uh, what, what, what's the deal there? I mean, this is this is very unusual territory for us uh, yeah. in, in Lawrence. No, well, and, and it's unusual that it happens this time of year. You know, the, I think it's funny this year, you know, I, I grew up on Tobacco Road. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, you know, just a few months ago, everybody's like, well, this is just not going to be a good year for the Tar Heels. And lo and behold, we're in the middle of late February, and they're pretty good. And, uh, you know, uh, Kentucky. You know, a couple months ago, Kentucky fans decided the world was burning down. And now, lo and behold, here People comes – People gave up on them after the Duke game. Exactly. But here comes February, in, into February, and guess what? You know, they're, they got it rolling again. So, uh, but, you know, I'm a Tennessee grad. So, if you want to talk about bad football and good basketball, hey, man, that's who we are now. Hey. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, we're suddenly Tennessee's a basketball school. Right. Yeah. The SEC's a football yeah. uh, basketball conference. Yeah. You know? but, but I'll tell you this. So, but, but to that, football school. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So to, yeah to, <laughs> but to that point, um, it, it would a testament to what Bill Self has done that you just, everybody's. So unexpected, right? You're just not used to it. Right. And the rest of the country, uh, you know, it's like, man, y'all been good forever. I, I believe you can struggle a little bit for a couple months, and you'll you'll be just fine. Right. Yeah. It's you know, it's one down year. They're still not even out of it. I mean, two it's games all it, back. Well, it, that's just it. It's all relative. You know, you're two games back, and uh, and everybody acts like you know the program is off the rails. And uh, you know, again, I grew two games up, back in a yeah, tough league. Hey, I grew I grew up an NC State fan and went to Tennessee. If you, we, we, if even one of those schools were two games back in the middle of February. That is not a bad year. So yeah, it, it, it's all it'll be all be fine, uh, Jayhawk fans. Uh, Daytona, this race uh, this weekend. Uh, first off, our guy Clint Boyer. Uh, nice bounce back year last year. What yeah. do you think about him going into 2019? Well, I think this is kind of it. I mean, you know, he's been building toward um, the big comeback year, and he certainly made big steps toward that last year. And I feel like if if he's going to finally you know, win that elusive championship, it kind of feels like it needs to happen now. You know, it needs to happen with certainly within the next couple of years. He's not getting any younger. You know, we still think about him coming along you know, however many years ago, and it was however many years ago. I mean, it's been a while. So, um, but listen, for him to be where he is now, and for us, quite frankly, to even be talking about his career and him winning races, considering where he was and where his career was, seems like about 10 minutes ago, um, it's, a, it's a great story. And it's been interesting. You know, Clint's always worn his heart on his sleeve. He's always had that great gregarious personality. And it kind of went away because he thought his career was going away. And now it's back, and and that tells you that he's feeling confident, and it tells you that he feels like he can win races again. So I think he is a um, – I wouldn't put him in the big three or four as far as your, your preseason favorites for the championship, but I'd put him in the next group. You know, I'd put him in, in, in the next four. And so I think that he uh, – it's, it's like a uh, bracketology, right? I'm not going to give him one seed, but I certainly would consider giving him a two or a three because I think he has a chance certainly to win a couple of races and, and, and make the uh, playoff. And then, once you make the playoff, you know, it's anybody's game. Well, and this playoff now, much like the NCAA tournament, is survive in advance. Right. I mean, you just have to find exactly a way right. to be in contention. And yes. if Clint, he doesn't necessarily have to be the number one overall seed. He just has to find a way to just keep, you just know, there. top fives, you yep. know, in, in that playoff. Yeah, just be there. And, you know, um, and what we've learned, too, is if you're going to win the championship, you're going to have to win a race. You know, certainly when you get closer to Homestead, um, you don't have to win Homestead, although that's pretty much what they have done. But you certainly got to win leading into it. And so, uh, yeah, no, I, I think um, watching the career resurgence of, of Clint um, kind of following along behind Martin Truex Jr., 
both those guys after that night in Richmond so many years ago, I thought their careers were to- toast or done. And uh, and for them to be in the case of Martin winning a championship, in the case of Clint winning races again, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable because uh, you know you you know this. It's a musical chairs game, and there aren't that many chairs. And for those guys to get another chance. And, and to, to capitalize on that, it's a pretty big deal. And those chairs have been shrinking every year. Yeah. Yeah, no, the chairs are shrinking every year, and the room is getting younger. You know, you go down to that room in media day at Daytona, and, and uh, you and I were talking about this before we started the interview. You know, I start looking around the room. I was talking to Jimmy Johnson about this a little bit ago. You start looking around the room, and everybody looks like they're 22 years old. You know, and, and you're like me, and you've been around a while, and I can't imagine what that's like when you're a race car driver. Because oh, yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's back in the day, when I first started coming out here 24 years ago, you know, you're Clint's age, you might still have 10 years left. These days it's not that case. And so uh, I think that he knows that and uh, hopefully he can capitalize. The days of like uh, a Mark Martin who ran, it seemed like forever, yeah. some of these other guys, that's that's long gone now. That wasn't even that long ago. I know. And, and it's funny, Kyle Bush was just talking about this because, you know, we kind of take for granted, you know, Kyle's in his early 30s. You know, he's down here winning ARCA races when he's a teenager. And, um, and we were just talking about the fact that he'd been watching film this week of, like, him winning ARCA races and truck races and all that stuff. And he's like, in my mind, it was 10 minutes ago. And he goes, it was 10, 15 years ago. But even Kyle's talking about wanting to do this for another 10 years. But he's still talking about retiring in his early 30s or early 40s. You know, you go back and look at you know, the guys back in the 90s and Rusty and Dale and Ricky Rudd, those guys – their early 40s is kind of when their careers took off. You know, they, yeah. made, they really made their living from the late 30s into the late 40s, you know, those 10 years. And so, yeah, it's shifted a lot. And uh, part of that's the fact we're making a lot more money than they used to. Um, and, uh, and part of that is it's just a lot more intense than it used to be. I think it just takes a toll on these guys and, and they want to go do something else. Yeah, I've heard Harvick say a number of times the, the new playoff system alone just adds so much yeah. stress, you know, that it, it adds years to you almost. Well, there's no weeks off, you know, and, and it's funny because I really, I, I was kind of, I kind of rolled my eyes when we, when the, the chase came out, and I thought, well, how, how intense could it be, really? And then as soon as it would go to Atlanta in March, you could feel it, you know, and there was a, a, a an intensity in the garage that just did not exist. You know, it used to be you come to Daytona. I'm from, I'm, we're just from Rockingham, North Carolina. So you go to Daytona, then you go to Rockingham. Rockingham was kind of a sleepy little track, you know, uh, there in the middle of the Sand Hills, North Carolina. Everybody just kind of eased into the spring, and then it got really intense by the time we hit the end of May when we got to Charlotte. Now it's like that all the time. And and I really I, I underestimated the intensity level at the end of each stage. You know, at the end of those three race stages in the playoff, it's crazy. And so I just did not see that coming, and he's right. I mean, you know, after a while, it takes a toll on him. What's the uh, biggest storyline? Things to watch this weekend at Daytona. Before? Well, I mean, I mentioned Kyle Busch. You know, he's kind of entered that. Um, again, I'm old enough now that I was down here when the question was always Dale Earnhardt, when are you going to win the Daytona 500? And then it was uh, Rusty Wallace, Ricky Rudd. Um, you know, when are you going to win the Daytona 500? Terry Labonte, Bob Labonte. These guys have been around forever. When are you finally going to win the Daytona 500? And now Kyle's that guy. You know, Tony Stewart was that guy until he retired, and so. You know, Kyle's still relatively young, but he has been out here for a decade. And so, and he's done, literally done everything in the sport. Won a championship, won all the crown jewel races. He won, I think he's won every track ever won. So I think that uh, the last thing left is this. And he tried very politely to dodge my question today, but I could tell it was really bothering him. So yeah, to me, that's one of the big ones. And then, um, uh, and then it's, it's funny because I can't remember a year where 
we were at Daytona, but already talking about Atlanta and Vegas. And people are already talking about what the regular season is going to be like once we get on the other side of Daytona. So I'd say keep your eye on Kyle Busch. I'd say uh, keep your eye on Jimmy Johnson to make another statement like he did in the clash. And then, uh, and then certainly keep your eye on the races after this because that new rules package is going to be bonkers. Well, and, and the value of winning Daytona is so unmeasurable compared to those other crown jewels in golf. Yeah. If you don't win the Masters, but you win the PGA, U.S. Open, and British Open, yeah. no, no one is going to bat an eye that you didn't win the Masters. Right. Here, I mean, if you don't win Daytona, I mean, that, that changes your legacy compared to if you, if you won the other crown jewels and not Daytona. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I would even agree. And, and I, it was even true when those, those other crown jewel races were a bigger deal. You know, the Winston Million days or back in the 70s when they tried to call them the crown jewels. And it was really, it was yeah. Daytona, uh, Talladega, you know, the 600 at Charlotte and the Southern 500. Those were kind of the four big ones. And over the years, there's been some debate of what are the crown jewels now? Is it the Bristol Night Race? You know, is it the Brickyard 400? You know, what are the crown jewels now? But the reality is, is that when a casual sports fan meets a race car driver, they don't ask them if they won a Cup Series championship. They don't ask them if they won the Bristol Night Race. They don't ask them if they won the Coca-Cola 600. They say, did you, did you win the Daytona 500? You know, just like IndyCar drivers. Yeah, I talk to those guys about that all the time. You can win 40 IndyCar races. If you don't win the Indy 500, it kind of doesn't matter. You know, Mario Andretti won as many races, more races than anybody. And uh, he always says if he hadn't won that one Indy 500, then he probably couldn't live with himself. So, yeah, so so you're exactly right, more so than any other sport. But that's the beauty of it being the first race. Some people argue don't run at the first race. I say it's the perfect first race. Points don't matter. All that matters is getting your name on that trophy and victory lane right here below us, and, and that's why it's the great American race. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned Indy. Danica made a whole career off of a top five finish. Yeah. You know, in Indy, you know. Maybe. I was watching her. Uh, my wife and daughter were watching her on uh, Project Runway or something this week. You know, and and they introduced her as you know, here's Danica Patrick who almost won the Indy 500. You know, but it, but that's what that stage will do for you, right? And so yeah, imagine if she'd won it. Right. You know? So so yes, yeah, so I think. Um, uh, you're exactly right, and that's why I love this race and love this place so much. Why well, I've been coming back here since before you were born. Yeah, that's wild, to say the least. A uh, couple more things we'll wrap up here. Be- being in Florida, we're-, we're living in the hillbilly headlines. Oh, dude, dude, the greatest the greatest export out of Florida is not. All due respect to my employer, Disney World, it's not oranges. It's hillbilly headlines. I've already started compiling the hillbilly headlines for this Saturday's show and most of them happen within about an hour and a half drive of here. So yeah, no, it's 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 amazing and it's um it's the gift that keeps on giving. All you gotta do is listen, right across the street over here, there used to be a, a super Kmart. And uh, we used to just go over there and just sit in the parking lot and just watch those people. And it was just, you know that with the so the sheriff here, Sheriff Chitwood, uh, we've had him on Marty McGee before, and he always says that Daytona is kind of the perfect, like anybody trying to escape the, like the authorities in other parts of the country, they get on I-95 and they drive south, and they get into Florida, they don't want to stop in Jacksonville because they've just gotten into Florida, but they get about an hour and a half into Florida, like, okay, here we go. And he goes, and that's how they all end up in the Daytona area, and uh, God bless them. They're the best. <laughs> and, that's amazing. Yeah, when they, they love, the big thing is they love, um, they love to uh, steal like the scooters from yeah. the, from the Walmart, Kmart, all that stuff, and just ride. We, we've had more s- grocery store scooter related news this year in the Hillbilly headlines than I could have possibly foreseen. People trying to run from the police. We had the one, the, the best one this year. 
we had the woman, uh, it was actually, uh, I can't if it was in Florida, might be in Texas, but her just doing laps in the parking lot at Walmart drinking boxed wine out of a Pringles can. And uh, she's become like a cult hero. People have started showing up in Walmart parking lots and drinking wine from Pringles cans to pay tribute to her, this lady. Oh, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, like 7 o'clock in the morning. She's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> that takes a special kind of skill. You can't make it up. And, and so Jeremy Schapp, you know, who's kind of the godfather of, of E60 and like the king of the journalists. At you got East him Man. and Tom Rinaldi Absolutely. covering the, the and, Pringle and Jer- can lady. Yeah, Jeremy's dad, Dick, was arguably the greatest sports writer ever lived. And... Uh, we had Jeremy record a thing for our show because his his radio show leads into ours. It's yeah. just real serious stories, Syrian soccer team and all this. And uh, we had him record a thing that made it sound like they were starting another hour of his show, and he starts reading the Hillbilly headline. And he realizes, oh, no, wait, this isn't for my show. This is for Marty. This isn't the sporting life. This is for Marty McGee. <laughs> and so we sent him this thing to read, and he called me, and he goes, there's no way this is real. I'm like, it's 100% real. And it happened right like in Deland, just down the road. And these two guys broke into the trailer of this guy's former lover, and they tried to burn the trailer down by putting dried spaghetti in a, in a frying pan or something and trying to just set it on fire. And one of the guys was dressed in a bull costume just in case they had like a security camera. He didn't want to get, you can't make it up. Sketty. The guy goes, they tried to burn my trailer down trying to burn Sketty. Sketty. Like, right, yeah, there you go. Welcome to Florida. It's a long way from Lawrence. A little bit, a little bit. I, I'm glad to be here. I, I'm hoping to see some of this, this, uh, this crazy. And I don't think it yeah. had to go very far. No, it's in the infield right here behind you. you yeah. Know, uh, so I, I sat in for Paul Feinbaum a couple weeks ago, and his producer John Hayes. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and he'd never been in a race. And he's doing a bachelor party in the infield at Daytona on Saturday night. Oh. And I've already you're going. T- I, I'm, I've already told him I'm going to make a cameo, and I'm getting out of there because it gets dark when it gets dark here. I mean, it's it, it's it's like. Uh, it's like all the worst parts of the Old Testament, you know, the infield at Daytona. And Daytona, honestly, is nothing compared to like You're Talladega. coming in to part the Reds. Oh, yeah, yeah, dude. It's unbelievable. But, yeah, if you want to see some stuff, I would advise about 10 o'clock Saturday night, just, just you know, use that infield parking pass and ride around in the infield a little bit and check it out because uh, you'll see things that you won't ever tell anyone about, but you'll, you'll, you'll know that it happened. Things I can't unsee. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen I've – seen, uh, I've seen – I've seen lovers and I've seen fighters, and none of them had any clothes on. So I've, I've seen them both in the Daytona infield. One of these days, I, I want to just camp out in the Talladega infield. Oh, dude, it's for a weekend. It's so Marty and I talk all the time about doing what yeah. we want to do is we want to do a Marty McGee like after dark. Yes, like a like a like a just preface it by saying this is a podcast. We're preface it by saying, listen, we can't tell these stories on the radio. We can't tell them on television. Yeah. Um, but and if you're easily offended then you need to turn this off because we're about to go down a, a, a dark path because there's some things we've seen at Talladega that, that uh, he and I have told those stories a million times, but we've never told them on the radio because we don't want to get fired. <laughs> uh, we like our jobs. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a listen and, uh, yeah. when, when that day comes. Uh, last question for you. Um, you know, I mean, with, with you cover not just NASCAR anymore, but, you know, college football and college basketball, some of these events. Does, what, what's it like coming back? To this place compared to some of those others, those venues that, that you see in the, the college sports world? You know, what I say all the time is is that the, the true, to me, the, the mark of a great sporting venue is what's it like when it's empty? You know, you go in Allen Fieldhouse on a Wednesday afternoon when there's nobody else in there, and it's just magical, right? Absolutely. And, and, and you know, you I, and I've always said this about Daytona, and I've been fortunate to have been here before. You know, um, 
when there's nobody here on a Tuesday, you know, before the Daytona 500, and it's it's just you feel it when you come, when, when I come through that tunnel, and I always love coming in, in the old tunnel in Turn Four. When I come through that tunnel, you know, I still get that same feeling, and I feel that way about like the Annapolis Motor Speedway. I feel that way about like Fenway Park, you know, or Lambeau Field. Certainly, Allen. You know, I, I grew up in North Carolina, so I feel that way about you know, I hated Duke growing up, but when you go into Cameron. You have to respect the building that you're in. So that, that's that's where it ranks to me. And for me personally, you know, it's right near the top of the list just because it takes me back to when I was first starting out in this business. And it takes me back to when I, I just would stand here, I'd call my mom and dad from a payphone, and I would go, I cannot believe they're paying me to be here today, you know? And so I still get that feeling when I come to Daytona, even after all these years. Right, we, we we could we could keep going forever, uh, but appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, giving us a few minutes this afternoon, man. Yeah, man, and uh, all right. Hopefully, Coach Miles will give me an excuse to get on a plane and come out to Lawrence and uh, and write about some football. Yeah, and not just in the bottom ten. Not just in the bottom. Yeah, you don't get on planes. We don't have much of a bu- budget in the bottom ten. But if a team makes the top twenty-five, suddenly they'll put me on a plane and send me there. So hopefully, uh, he'll give me an excuse to get out there because man, I love coming out there. Big thanks to Ryan McGee and Ty Dillon for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Dominic Aragon, and Brian Nolan back here with you now. And while we were talking about uh, nipples and uh, piercings, uh, we just happened to be right next to Andy Petrie and Richard Childress. Yeah, they just walked into the uh, media center, and I literally had to say, excuse me, Andy. And uh, Was he looking our way when we were talking about the subject? I don't know. Uh, he was actually on his phone. He was talking about something on his phone. I don't know what he was doing. He, he was talking like, to his phone, telling his friends, like, I'm, I'm next to these guys about, nipple about nipples and nipple rings. Pretty much. Or maybe he just ignored it altogether, just ignored the whole the love situation. Of God, I hope so. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's all hope so. Uh, no doubt about mm-hmm. that. So wh- how are you feeling about that, Tyler? Are you excited, scared, nervous? He ain't getting uh, it. I'm a glass case of emotion about it. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm like all of them. Will I'm this happy. be your first piercing? Yes. I don't have any tats either. Because here, here's my thing when it comes to tattoos, is I'm not against them at all, but there's not one thing that I've said, you know what, I need that on my body for the rest of my life. Same. Exactly. I can appreciate the artwork, but it's not for me. Yeah. Um, there's some really cool ones out there, but there's not one that I've said uh, that I need to have. I'm not opposed to it either. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, you need this tattoo, and it's something that you know, if you sell me on it, that I need to have it, then maybe so. Maybe. And, and, you know, like this piercing thing that you guys are paying me like $435 to do. A very specific number, by the way. Uh, <laughs> this, has been, this has been negotiated out. Um, my asking price would be much higher than that if uh, if somebody I'll, I'll pay you to get a tattoo of this. It would be much higher because your tattoos are much more long-term than piercings that's right if you, if you don't like the nipple ring you just take it out and leaves right. two scars and you're good exactly two scars and nobody's ever going to see those scars exactly exactly bingo it, it's it's a big difference there um in regards to this uh this daytona 500 let's uh let's let's give give our top three most likely to win on sunday we're taping this on thursday thursday the 14th on valentine's day even though we all hate each other, we're still hanging out on a Valentine's Day. I know. The first year I have a Valentine, and I'm 2,000 miles away from oh, her. I told her stop. I have to get 2,000 miles away from you. Oh, yeah. you weren't talking about me? <laughs> if, I've always said when it comes to Valentine's Day, and I, I said this on radio today too, if you've been with somebody for a while, 
You can't do this if you're first time, your first or second or even third Valentine's Day. So sorry, Dominic, you can't do this. Okay. Um, if your spouse is okay with it and you've been together for a long time, you can send flowers or chocolates the day after when it's half price. No. Sounds like the cheap way out of it. Exactly. But they should understand because your money is their money. And they're like, you know what? They I would can also understand deal with it on the 15th. <laughs> um, you can either say you're one day later, 364 days early, just depending on how you look at it for the next year. That's an amazing perspective. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that just open your eyes there. Good God. Yeah. You know, maybe it's because I work in sports and I miss you know a lot of <clears throat> holidays and events and stuff. But I've always felt like you can celebrate a day anytime. Like, I've never been concerned about missing my birthday or somebody else's. I'm like, well, we can just celebrate when I get back. Or we can celebrate it early. Like, these dates are very flexible. Who said that Valentine's Day had to be celebrated on the 14th of February? You're right. It's a hallmark holiday, as my best friend and managing editor of the RacingExperts.com, Matt Corson, likes to it say. It is a hallmark and, holiday. And his his girlfriend and him have been fine about that. They've celebrated a couple of Valentine's Days to, to excuse me together, but not necessarily on that same day. Like, Kim and I celebrated a week early. He and Maddie celebrated a week early. It doesn't have to necessarily be on that day because somebody said it has to be on that day. Right. Um, it, it, it's just a scheme by Hallmark to sell cards. That's all it is. Exactly. Um, so, yes, they're, by that same token, you can celebrate on the 15th and get the half-price chocolate, the half-price flowers, and all that. Then you're taken care of. You're good to go. Somehow, we were going to talk about who the favorites are for this weekend. We got a little off track. But that's okay. This whole thing's been off track today. So, um, give me let, – let, let's do a little draft. Let's, uh, let's each take four drivers – and we'll kind of circle back to this later of uh, who had the best team. Now, are we we'll picking together. for the entire season or just the race f- of the 500? This is for just the race. Okay. So um, how about this? The winner of this is based on the best average finish. Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. I agree. Now, what should we wager, guys? Are we even allowed to? Well, I mean, we can't wager because we have hard cards, but what can we do amongst ourselves? Oh, that's true. NASCAR's yes. new gambling policy. Mm-hmm. We are not allowed to gamble on NASCAR. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I will be sticking to uh, betting on uh, cricket. On cricket. All right. Well, whoever wins, I say we give a high five. Okay. That's we'll bet on, just high fives. We're, we're not going to bet wink, wink. Exactly. Right. There we go. So, uh, you know what? Uh, nose goes on who gets the first pick. I feel like I was last. So I got to pick first. Uh, you know what? Since that logic actually makes sense, yes. <laughs> All right. Now, so, do we go around picking one driver at a time? You can only pick one driver. Or can you pick one yeah. driver at a time? And he, the same driver cannot be picked twice. Correct. Exactly. And it's a snake draft, so we kind of even it out that way. Oh, okay. So. Okay. All right. So, you go first. Bri, would you rather go second or third? I'll let you choose. Second. Okay. Dang, this Tyler's is an impromptu draft that we're putting together. Uh, Brian. Uh, or I'll be Dom, the note taker. I can You'll be the note taker? I'll, okay. I'll open up the notes right here so we can just know. We'll do the snake draft. I like that. All right. Here we go. Uh, Dominic, if you're ready, who is going to be the first pick of the draft? Joey Logano. It's hard not to pick. Great pick. Good pick. Yeah, exactly. He's the Good defending pick. champion. He won at Talladega last year. He's Penske. won the 500. He's won the 500. Penske has just placed figured out. So I'm going Joey Logano. With the number one pick. The number one pick. I'm Best go thing with- since sliced bread. 
I'm well, going to go. He's yeah. got to be a number one overall pick. Best it was, it was sliced bread versus the big three last year, and sliced bread sliced right down the middle of that big three. Oh, I like that. It's All good. right, Brian, who's going to be the number two I'm pick? I'm going to go draft? with Ryan Blaney. Ooh, another Ryan Team Penske stable car. Who said yesterday, I was talking with him, he says, wow, this is that's the first time I've heard that when someone asked if he knew he was the favorite. Of course he knows he's the favorite. Obviously trying to be, you know. A little humble. Yeah, yeah. A little humble pie there. Obviously mm-hmm. didn't, you know, didn't fly with us. We yeah. all figured that out. But I'm going to go with Ryan Blaney. Now, okay. I'm curious who you're going to choose, Tyler, because you got you got two drivers. You've pretty much got I the entire field. I get to go back to back. Right. Exactly. So who are your two picks? Um, I'm going to go with my, my number three pick. The Chevys were the fastest in qualifying, and they were, you know, in particular the Hendrick cars, were way ahead of the field. Um, so the first one... I'm going to go with Jimmy Johnson. Oh, you sly dog. Pick. That would have been my pick. And my next pick, I'm going to go Chase Elliott. Okay. So give me – those are the two Hendricks I like. I'm more higher on them than Byron or Alex um, when it comes to this uh, plate racing. They're more experienced at it. Um, I know that those two are in the front row, but uh, guys on the front row have not had a whole lot of success in the 500s either. Um not saying that's going to be a factor in this, per se, but history goes to show that pole winners do not win Daytona 500s. You're absolutely right. I mean, the last time that happened was Pop Quiz. Do you know when? I do not, actually. Dale Jarrett in 2000. So it's been 19 years. Did, did you know that, Brian? That was 2000, and then the year before, last time after that was 1999, Dale Jarrett. Nerds. Nerds, I'll I tell you. We are NASCAR nerds here. All right, uh, so those are my two picks. Uh, Brian, you're back on the clock, as Roger Goodell would say. I'm going to go with the number two car of Brad Keselowski. Solid pick right there. Now, I'm going to go a little out the box here. And, and you get two picks coming now. You're right. So my first one, just in talking with him at Media Day and seeing where the team is at, I mean, there's even potentially a contingency plan in place if he were to win this race. He would swap his eligibility. So I'm going already outside the box. Based on just that information. Wait, wait, well, hold on. Let me hold on. I'm, I'm thinking because I, I was with you when you talked about this. Oh, you're not picking him. Well, I, I have to go with Ross Chastain. Oh, you are picking him. You're picking him this high in the draft? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> are you kidding me? No. With 25 we, we, cars wrecked out. He is out. the Raiders of this draft. <laughs> kind of like when they would pick Matt Kenseth at the Martinsville. You know he's not going to win, but he's going to get like a top 10 out of that. <laughs> That's what I'm doing here. I'm picking Ross Chastain. You are going to kill your your average finish. With oh, this. we'll see who's oh laughing when your guys wreck out. My finish is ahead of you. We're not factoring in stage points, are we? No, just average finish. Okay, best straight up finish. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm going to go Chastain. And then your next pick. He was on the pole for the Daytona 500 last year. He's on the outside of the front row this year. Okay. Alex Bowman. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. So you're up to three drivers now. Brian, you are. Now on the clock for your third pick. Uh, now, I talked with this guy one-on-one last uh, yesterday, and great guy, uh, younger than me. It's kind of weird interviewing someone that's younger than you. Uh, you can find the article at speedwithmedia.com. I've always thought this guy's going to be a star. After talking with him, I know he's going to be a star. William Byron. He had a Brian Vickers-esque rookie year in 2018. Yeah. Vickers had four top tens. Byron had four top tens. But I think learning the year in the Cup Series, and it was like you could make a bingo card. And I would always think with William Byron, he's going to pull a two-tire stop at some point during the race to get some laps led. I think he led something like 70 laps last year. 61. 61 laps. There we go. Thank you. Should have led eight more. Should have led eight eight or nine. No, nice. should have led eight more. Nice. I said eight more. Oh, okay. I thought Very you said nice eight or nine. There, guys. I said eight. He said eight or nine. Yeah. Oh, it's only eight. Yeah. Well, that, that's why I stuck with writing and not math. 
It's okay. I don't do well with writing or math either, buddy. <laughs> I'll writing, I'm, okay with I'm writing. getting better with writing. That's why the younger William Byron's ahead of him in school. Hey, right I, now. I asked Alex Bowman um, his thoughts on William Byron, and Bowman says he is a total nerd. Uh, Bowman says he's a little bit of a nerd, but he's got street smarts. Byron's just book smart. There you have it. There you go. Yeah, that's the groundbreaking analysis people came for. So Tyler, you're going to be picking picks three and four now. Three and four. These are so my last picks. Who do you got? Um, this is tough. I, I got to go with some forwards here. Okay. Um, and of the forwards that are left available, no more Pinsky. Is, is, is Kislowski still there? Kes, no, Kes, I picked. Yeah, he picked. Take, okay, so all the Pinskys are gone. I definitely picked Brad. Um, I got some Stuart Hosses left. You, you got. I don't the whole think anybody Stuart picked Stuart Haas stable. I got the whole from. Stuart Haas stable. You could even pick half of your picks there from that stable if you I really could. so choose to do so. Um, you know what? I am going to go with, uh, and this is this is my Homer pick. This is. This is me, like you doing the Ross Chastain thing, right? <laughs> because you like the guy. Oh, I know. I'm going this. with Clint Boyer. I knew it. I, I get mean, to go to the hometown kid. Exactly. You're you're adopted home in Kansas. Yes. Clint Boyer being from Kansas, it makes sense. And and the Fords have been fast. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with Clint, and he's starting fourth in that dual race, um, in the second dual race. So I'll go yep. Clint. Okay. My last pick. This one. There's a lot of guys to choose from. Uh, I've taken. Two Hendricks, and I've taken a Stuart Haas car uh, to this point. I have yet to take a Joe Gibbs car. Nobody and, has picked a Toyota yet. And Denny Hamlin said that the Toyotas lacked the horsepower that everyone else does. Um, he wasn't high on that. But I have to think at least one of those guys is going to break through for a good finish. I don't think that the entire Toyota stable is just going to be in the back of the field. Um and one guy that's still looking for his first 500 win uh, that <laughs> always gets the most out of his vehicles. I kind of go Kyle Busch. Oh, okay. I think Kyle Busch, the fact he's still on the board and still looking for that first Daytona 500 win, that is my team I'm going to put together. So there you have it. I'm going to win this because my team is Jimmy Johnson, Chase Elliott, Clint Boyer, and Kyle Busch. All right. Well, that, that is a solid team right there. But what if they all get taken out in one crash? Man, you're that screwed. could happen. By Ross, Chast- anybody. Ross Chastain could take him all. Be a little too far back to avoid. You just gotta just take his foot off the gas and miss it and pass him and bring right. up my average finish. Brian, your, I'm gonna your go last the guy pick. that uh, got really, as I like to say, screwed over. Won his. You like uh, you like to say that? I said I don't like to say that. Oh, okay. Uh, um, I like. I want to go with a guy that did get a win though at a super speedway in Talladega. I'm gonna go with the ten car of Eric Amarola as your last pick. Yes. Okay, that is a really A-Rick. good team. Arik. <laughs> so for those who don't know, I mispronounced his name at a at a press conference at Kansas Speedway in 2014. <laughs> addressed him as a question for Arik, more or less for the exact words. Arik, how does it feel to be a favorite <laughs> underdog? Essentially, that was the question. How did you like your chances for Sunday's race? Because he was starting third. Qualified him and Vickers were second and third, respectively. And Eric looks over at Brian Vickers. Kind of motions with his hands. Vickers motions back like, go ahead. Eric kind of tilts his head a little bit, looks directly at me as I'm holding that mic, and says, so my name is Eric, <laughs> and I like my chances. And I, my, my heart sank. I was like, crap, I said his name wrong. What you should and, have done is. And I believe that press conference was broadcast on Fox Sports 1 live at the time because a lot of those post-qualifying press conferences were live on FS1. You sh- what you should have done back then. <laughs> so I embarrassed myself in front of the whole country. It was awesome. You should have used the 
the being Mexican thing to your advantage and be like, I'm sorry, I don't understand English very well. You know, I mispronounced <laughs> Good things. God. You should have played that off. Maybe I'd be like, come on, dude, we're both brown. Like, what the heck? <laughs> if I really wanted to, I could have said that. Right? <laughs> but, no, so, gosh, you guys have got me in an interesting position here. So, and I hope you were going to make this decision easier. My last two guys that I'm kind of debating back and forth between are the 2017 winner of this race and the 2016 runner-up, Martin Truex or, or Kurt Busch. And that is a tough decision to make, but I think... Okay, here's here's my logic. Here, sure. Here's how you should go between. Um, I would say Ashley Bush is hotter Good than, Sh than uh, Sherry. Uh, so go, Kurt. You horn dog. <laughs> well, that is one way of interesting to look at it, but I'm... I'm yeah, I'm at a loss for words. I don't even know what to say to that. But Exactly. Okay, I'm going to go with the guy who's never won at a restricted play race. Martin Truex Jr., final answer. That is my fourth. So I've got Okay, so Joey review Lugano. our team sure. since you have them all written down. Okay, so I've got Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, pretty high pick there. Okay. Alex Bowman and Martin Truex Jr. Next, Brian has picked two of the three Penske teammates, being Ryan Blaney and Brad Keselowski, along with pole sitter William Byron and 2018 fall Talladega race winner Eric Almirola and... Tyler Jones picked seven-time champion, <laughs> seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson, three-time race winner Chase Elliott, ten-time winner Clint Boyer, and fifty-one race winner, but who's never won the Daytona Five Hundred, Kyle Busch. There you have it. I have my uh, and, I, and I knew team. that all off the top of my head. If I have to add that to, oh, uh, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. It went right in the memory bank. Yes, exactly. Bits and pieces of useless info were stored up there. Absolutely. Like I, I could tell you a bunch of like alien facts about UFOs that people don't care to hear about. Have you ever? You're from New Mexico. Have you made the way up to uh, uh, the the alien place? Oh, uh, Roswell. Roswell. So and you know him. Our, our one of our photographers, Brian DeGrucci, is yes. from Roswell, New Mexico. He's That's gone right. and shot that some races. A lot about Brian. <laughs> yeah, I can see that actually. So <laughs> he's out of this world. He, Brian is out of this world for sure. But he's 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 my out of the world friend. Yeah. So and, and this guy is my out of the world friend. That's a good compliment. Yeah, Brian is from out there. I've never actually visited him out there, but so my, I have a, a younger brother, Mark Dane. He's a assistant coach for a high school football team in Las Vegas, New Mexico. His team made the playoffs for the first time in a, in a few years, and their game was out in Dexter, New Mexico. Dexter is just south of Roswell. So I got to go there for the first time in November, and I do recall on their main street there's an alien museum. They really live up to that town. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I've never really been to any of the museums or check out anything out, but, I mean, it is alien town, so maybe someday. Maybe someday. I like New Mexico, parts of New Mexico. You need to come to Grants, man. and We'll go eat at the best Chinese restaurant across this country, the Canton Cafe. The buffet out here is incredible. Oh, the buffet's awesome. So you can order off the menu as well. And maybe I'm a little biased because I worked there nine years, <laughs> all through high school and college. That's nice and, of you. And after college. Oh, I love that job so much. And most of the people, 19 out of 20 people, take the buffet because there's just so much to pick from. And they do have a really expansive menu too. But, oh, yeah, I love me my Canton Cafe family. We only have a few minutes left, so I'll tell this story, and then we'll kind of wrap up here. My my New Mexico story. Here, here's what it is: I uh, was on a uh, mission trip to what is uh, just you know right next to El Paso there. Uh, Trump just had a rally there, so did uh, Beto O'Rourke and all that. that, yeah, that they sure did. Um, and the uh, the bus we were driving. Broke down about 40 miles past Tucumcari, New Mexico. Right along Interstate 40. You've been to Tucumcari? 
passed it, actually going to Kansas a few times. Okay. The turnips up that way to cut through the panhandle of Texas and the panhandle of Oklahoma. Okay. Tucum carries awful. Um, Not a lot out there. Van, the uh, bus breaks down. We had to stay there overnight. Then uh, they get us rental cars, and the rental cars broke down. <laughs> and we got stuck in Tucumcari again on the way back. That town's cursed, man. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you so, put some sort of spell on it. Uh, Tucumcari, more like Tucumscary, <laughs> if you ask me. Not a fan of Tucumcari, New Mexico. So there's my Tucumcari, New Mexico story. It's a little, um, little sketchy of a town for you then. I mean, it's given bit. the circumstances, too. Yeah, and it was hot. Yeah, you go in the middle of summer, New Mexico's hot. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? What a, what a thought. I, I went, it was like June, and yeah, it was. You probably had like a 95-degree day out there. Probably so. Probably so. Um, before we get out of here, uh, final thoughts. Let's go around the room uh, just on the weekend or if you had any a take that you just have to unleash, whatever it may be. Uh, let's start with you, Brian. You're, you're just, just final thoughts. Go ahead. I'm going to make this short and sweet because i got to go watch second practice of the Next Era Energy 250. I love practice. It's the truck race. I don't care. It's Daytona. No, I'm, I'm simplifying it for oh, people at oh. home. I thought you were trying to be a smart one. Uh, <laughs> I'm just used to it. Daytona, if you have never been, if you think Daytona's like everything and then some, times that by a thousand and that's what you'll get. It is not even close to what I imagined. It is everything and then some. It is so cool and I've only seen like an hour of what the uh, weekend has in store for us. It's uh, it's incredible. I, I'm in awe. I, right. I have to say, seeing Brian's face light up at media day yesterday and the cars hadn't even taken the field, I knew Brian has found his calling. I mean, not that there was ever any question. It's just, it's just further proof that he belongs in this sport. Like, I didn't think I was I, – I I thought I may or may not do a couple more races. I have to go to at least two more, at the very least, mm-hmm. this year. Is, is that your final thought as well, or is there something else you want to go with? No, I just – I think it's so much fun to be out here and kind of touching on it earlier. I, I don't take it lightly where I say there's not, a, there's not a big racing scene in New Mexico, so I feel like I'm one of the very few that – Appreciates think the sport in our state. In Idaho. Exactly. And I, I being from the, the West as well, you, you, you definitely share that same understanding with me. I, I just find it such an honor to be able to represent my home state out here. I've, I had to make sure to pick out a New Mexico lander to hold our hard card, our, our annual credentials from NASCAR, because I have so much pride of where I'm from. You just got a sweet flag. The state of Mexico, that that logo, that cool. the Z symbol, exactly. The, the, the Z symbol, that's what it's called from the Z tribe of New Mexico. It, oh. it, it's supposed to symbolize perfect friendship among united cultures. That's deep. That is very deep. Yes, and that's actually in our salute to the flag. Deep. I don't know if every state does this, but like when you you go to school, you do the pledge of allegiance. There's a salute to the New Mexico flag where you hold your hand out like like if you're gonna like have somebody drop something into it, and you say, "Salute the flag of the state of New Mexico and the Z symbol of perfect friendships." among United Cultures. So that's where that comes from. And it, it's, a, it's a symbol of unity for our state. But it, I just have so much pride being from New Mexico to be able to, to come back to New Mexico and share with people what I do because I don't have an everyday job. I have a, a, a very interesting job, and I love to let people know what I do, but I'm also very grateful for it because I know it can all be taken away tomorrow. I mean, man, we're so blessed. Like I was saying, I was like, I, I am so beyond blessed. It's not even funny. I mean, I never imagined covering the Daytona 500, let alone – just how I feel now is just remarkable. It's it's undescribable. Before I started the racing experts.com, I used to think I want to get out there to the Daytona 500 as a fan someday. And then now I'm sitting here towards the end of the week. We are of our third. We are fans. We're Literally, lifelong fans. Like, I would imagine, but not even working in media. media is probably fans. Exactly. Like, 
I don't. I used to have favorite drivers, and they all retired now. I don't have a favorite driver. I just exactly. want a good race. That's when you don't I mean. have a horse in the race, it's so much easier to be able just to just in, yeah exactly to report on the product itself. So no, it's, there's just two things I want is a great race and cool underdog stories. Or exactly. favorite underdogs. Favorite underdogs. Favorite <laughs> underdogs, yes. We'll see if we see any favorite underdogs. Tyler, what's your final thoughts on, on this as we wrap my up? My final thought, I'm going to go on a much less serious note, and I'm going to go on my soapbox, is as I am in Florida for the second time in eight months, uh, still no sign of Dr. Pepper anywhere. No sign <laughs> of Dr. Pepper anywhere. Uh, I This was an ongoing joke when I was in Miami that I could not find Dr. Pepper, and when I finally did – it was at a CVS, a 20-ounce bottle for 2 bucks. Since I've been in Florida, this is day three now, no sign of Dr. Pepper. They didn't. In the media center, I, I just realized they didn't have it there. I got a Sprite. So yeah. Coke Fresh. There's Sprite Coke. I saw Mellow Yellow, which we, I don't think have in New Mexico, so I do cherish that when we go on the NASCAR circuit. They don't circuit. even have Mr. Pibb. Now, Mr. Pibb's crap, but I might take that Exactly. Right. He doesn't have his PhD. He has just his master's. That's why he's Mr. Pibb. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if he has his master's. He's just a mister. Uh, you know, he's, he's it's that wonderful. line of respect. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I would drink Dr. Thunder before I drink Mr. Pibb. Yeah, you have to trust the doctor. Right? You have to trust doctors, of course. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Tyler, let us know how that nipple ring thing goes. Oh, I will. Oh. And if I find Dr. Pepper. Yes. So the people want to know. We, we might, if we have time. Do a second pod this week Ooh. if oh, we have really? time. We'll see um, because we uh, we're at over an hour in and we've touched the surface level. You know, odd things. We have more. It goes beneath stuff. the surface level, actually. The piercing itself. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it does. Um, guys, real quick, plug your social media, your websites. Where can people catch all that stuff? Uh, go with you, Brian. Where's all the stuff? What's the easiest way? For people to easiest way at the Brian Nolan SpeedwayMedia.com coming up in just about a little bit over an hour. We're going to publish an article that I feature that I have with William Byron. Uh, big thanks to everybody at Hendrix for letting me do this really cool article. Learned a lot about him. Really cool kid. Actually, he's not a kid, as Chad Canal says. He's a man, not a kid. Good point. That's very well said. You can find me. I'm Dominic Aragon at Twitter at Dominic Aragon. That's D O M I N I C capital A R A. G O N. He even spelled it out with like the like the. I did with the hand signals yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. too. So to put that picture in your head, or you can find my work at theracingexperts.com. You have to include the it's because like the racing Nolan. exactly because racingexperts.com is a completely different website. And actually, somebody porno? in NASCAR owns that website. So, no, damn. They they use it for professional email services, but damn. yeah, the racingexperts.com. You can find us. Uh, emails up on there if you guys want to get a hold of me. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to a great season. No doubt, no doubt. It's been fun, and we still have a lot more to come. We're just getting started here from Daytona this week. Uh, big thanks to uh, my guys Ryan McGee and Ty Dillon for stopping by, and uh, you, the listener, for hanging out with us here on the Jones Report from Daytona today. Daytona, baby! Follow me on Twitter, at Tyler Jones Live, at TJ Media Group. You can find us there. Uh, subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We want... It's all or nothing. All or nothing. Yeah. Give us five stars or don't leave us one and uh, go from there. And I would love to hear from you next week. Uh, Thomas Bridges off this week, but he will be back with me next week. And uh, I'll see you guys then. Have a great day, everybody. For Dominic Aragon, for Brian Nolan, Ryan McGee, as well as the Ty Dillon and Tyler Jones. So long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report live from Daytona. We'll see you next time.